Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. It seems like uh, we're kind of stumbling over the open lately. Why is that? I don't know. Was I stumbling? I I thought I was pausing for dramatic effect. Oh, well, I guess one person's drama is another person's stumble, I guess. (laughs) Well, that's not what I was going for. And I think that uh, being misinterpreted of what I was going for is kind of a, a, a enough of a routine thing in my life these days that uh, it doesn't come as a big surprise to me. That's your brand. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it for, for how it makes me look in comparison. <laughs> you don't think that you, the same thing happens to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even more so. Yeah. Ben, I stumbled around uh, Emerald City Comic Con yesterday. Hey! It was the first time I had ever gone to that, uh, even though I've lived in Seattle for 25 years. Uh Uh-huh. Longer than that, probably 30 years. It was, uh, yeah, I don't know why I haven't gone until now. I think part of it is is that it's gotten to be such a big thing. It is. It occupies uh, the Washington State Convention and Trade Center, which is one of the, like, outside of the Boeing factory, I feel like is one of the biggest freestanding spaces <laughs> uh, in or around the city. And I impulse bought a ticket to Thursday, and, God, I spent almost the whole day there. It was great. Awesome. When was the last time you have been to a con of any kind? Um, I went to the Los Angeles Auto Show for work uh, this year. That's a car con. A bit of a con. Yeah. Uh, wasn't, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I have not gone to many cons not for work. Right. Um, I go to Max Fun Con every year, but, uh. That's, that's, that's one of the great kind cons. Of, you know, I, I do I do the video there, so it kind of feels like it's for work, but it's also just the funnest and greatest thing. The the scale of this thing was was bonkers. The first thing that I kind of stumbled into was a Doctor Who panel. There were five thousand people in this space, and they were Whoa. screaming at the top of their lungs for, for the panel to come out and be introduced. And like I, I knew Doctor Who had a huge following, but I, I had no idea until confronted with its size and volume that, that it was like that. It was incredible. Holy shit! Yeah, I, I like walking my way through there, like to get there. You know, you're you're surrounded by people in costume and and like the sort of joy that comes with being surrounded by people with uh, with the same like interests and attitudes and stuff. Right. And and for a moment I was like, oh yeah, these are our people. This is like <laughs> this is this is a good place to be. But as soon as I went to that panel and saw and saw that, I was like, <laughs> this place is way too big for us. <laughs> like we could never do this. <laughs> <laughs> but like that feeling initially like pervaded the whole thing. Like the idea of the tribalism of being a nerd or someone with very strong interests in 
in fiction or science fiction specifically or, or action fiction or comics. Like it was great. And it was so positive feeling like there's the, there's a thing I think in culture now that is like that the gaze is a bad thing. But there, but like, there's such a supportive gaze at a comic con. Like when people were rocking around in costume, it felt so positive and good. Right. That yeah, the uh, the cosplay is like people who are specifically calling attention to themselves, but the attention of other people that are like minded in a specific space. Yeah, and that felt good and pure and nice. Like all of the. There were so many booths. There had to have been like a thousand booths. I ran into our our good buddy Brandon Bird there. He had a booth at Comic Con. Oh man, he was selling his artwork. His artwork is amazing. If you're not familiar with Brandon Bird's artwork, I think one of his most famous paintings is a Deep Space Nine themed painting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've uh, got a Brandon Bird original that I got from him. Uh, The the two Riker faces. Like you wow. can see the pen strokes and everything. This is not a reproduction. This is the real thing. Damn. He's uh he's so talented and great and he does really fun things. Uh like combining combining pieces of uh of pop and TV and movie culture together uh in a really fun way. Really cool. That's awesome. A couple of my favorite booths I wrote notes about. Uh there was Fezorama. <laughs> Which uh, which does what it says on the tin, Ben. It was a booth that sold nothing but but novelty fezes. <laughs> that was cool. a thing. Uh, another another. Booth. Did you get one? No, I did not. I'm sorry. I didn't. I uh, I wanted to do the loop and then buy everything on the way out because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be carrying a bunch of shit through the yeah. fest. You and were trying to practice good uh, buffet good buffet practice where you get a load of what's available before you start putting things on your plate it's a good strategy it's a strategy i stuck to not far away from fezorama was a a booth that sold food manga books (laughs) and i didn't flip through these but i heard two people talking about them which uh (laughs) which was like if you if you love manga uh this is this is food specific manga wow so so this is food like comics about people cooking food the, or fucking food the uh the, the the take that i had was like uh a, a cookbook you have to read backwards right <laughs> oh i get it there so you it teaches go you how to prepare food or it, fuck food it takes you it takes you from the finished product of food back to its core ingredients mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever you, you listen to the Jackie and Laurie show sometimes? One of, my, right? one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, this is stand-up comedians Jackie Cation and Laurie Kilmartin just talking about what it's like to be a working, you know, headline stand-up from week to week. And uh, one of them was talking about being booked for a gig that they thought was going to be like a very suburban, like plain Jane crowd. Like they couldn't do their edgiest, newest material. Uh-huh. And and so she was like preparing for the gig by listening to her old albums for like the most milk toast jokes that she could do. Wow! But she listened to her old albums in reverse, and she described it as listening to herself get worse at stand up. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny! <laughs> wow, I I think the same would happen for us if we listened to our show. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Like if you listen to The Greatest Generation in reverse order, it's about inside jokes going away. I think I, I would also <laughs> argue we get worse in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. Paradoxically, it's it's uh, it gets worse all the way down. I have to admit one thing to you. I wore uh, I wore the badge that I was given at the Star Trek Discovery premiere. Uh, it's like a mini shield, like the it would be the communicator badge, but it's just the badge. Or, oh wow! They gave you one for uh, yeah. attending the premiere. Just a just a miniature one, and so I pinned it onto my jacket as I was walking around. I had, That's uh, neat. And a couple of the booth people like like said, "Hey, Starfleet, what's up?" <laughs> and that felt really good to hear. I don't know why it uh, it gave me such a jolt. It felt did, uh, like were uh, any of them friends of Desoto? I'm sad to announce that I d- did not meet or run into any friends of Desoto. The entire time I was there. Man. I, here's another disappointment, Ben. So few Star Trek things at the con. I thought for sure there would be more of a presence. Uh, honestly, I think maybe less than five or six items total in the entire thing Star wow. Trek related. I saw a few Star Trek Discovery things, and, they, and those were pins. Yeah. I saw... Um, uh, the people who make the the very expensive and intricately designed uniforms, uh, that company oh, yeah. was there, and they had a few of the Star Trek movie uniforms and then also the disco uniform. I was looking at those the other day. I was like trying to talk myself into having one for doing live shows in. Right, right. <laughs> but then I was like, eh, they're like $2,000. <laughs> yeah. A break. <laughs> they look amazing up close, uh, really neat, and... I mean, there's a cost associated with how intricate they are. But yeah, yeah dude, like there was no no Star Trek action figures that I saw. Uh, no books or comics of any, like, and if there were, uh, they were in the boxes. You know, like there's a lot of comic shops that, that roll up to Emerald City Comic Con and then you can like right. pick through the boxes. But but there wasn't a presence for Star Trek in, in any way at all. What would you say is that, is what's at work here that Star Trek has its own con, and so do, like the people that would do Star Trek shit at Comic Con have already done their Star Trek shit at Star Trek Con, or are they just missing the mark? I wondered that myself. Like I, at first, I definitely thought, yeah, they have their own con, and that's why. But I also wonder, like, is there just not that much crossover between Star Trek and and regular? con or comic culture i mean star trek fan is the kind of er nerd fan right like and uh like, i'm like add we to that, invented this shit i saw i saw i think two people total wearing uh wearing star trek uniforms Wow. And they were original series uniforms. Now, like, my sample size might be different because I went on Thursday, and Thursday is typically the the less trafficked day of the con. It, it grows in size as you get to Sunday. I'm sure there will be much more to see. I was only able to get Thursday tickets because those were all, those are the only ones available. But, yeah, I was a uh, little surprised, a little disappointed. I was a little surprised and disappointed in how little Star Trek there was, but I was super pumped and excited by by the culture and how positive and fun it was and and the experience 
itself was great and I hope to do it uh, in the coming years. I, I definitely plan on going again next year. I thought it was cool, but yeah, kind of a weird disconnect between the two cultures that I hope changes. And I'm thinking maybe like if disco gets some more traction, it'll be more of a thing there, but yeah, but not a thing for now. Well, it's pretty bonkers to think like, you know, the, our show has had like a small modicum of success and it is very successful in terms of like the goals that we had for it when we originally started, like radically more successful than that. But to think about the idea of like having a panel about our show, draw 5,000 people. Yeah. Like it's so unthinkable. Like that is so far away from anything that will ever happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, uh, the excitement was infectious. Like there's a, there's a crackle to that amount of people that is that are just going bonkers that that feels really good it's great very fun yeah thank you for uh sharing your comic-con experience adam yeah if you're in and around seattle uh i would recommend going if you can possibly get tickets i think i think it was a cool way to spend the day good times well should we get into the episode yeah let's do ben let's talk about uh Pretty dark episode coming up on uh, Season 2 of Deep Space Nine. It's Episode 4, Invasive Procedures. Just an episode title that calls it what it is. (laughs) Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. It's Christmas at Nakatomi Station, and... uh, most uh, most of the building has gone home for the holidays, but they're having a Christmas party. A lot of people don't realize that this is a Christmas episode, Adam. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Did you have a hard time watching this episode and not thinking about, on the back-end production aspect of it, how there were so few cast members on the last <laughs> episode? Like, why don't you extend the break? Right. And not bring them back for this one. Like, the cold open is, we've evacuated the station, <laughs> and no one is here. Yeah, it's like, uh, you mean the thing you did last episode? Yeah. Playing all the hits in season two, huh? Yeah. It, it, like, it's another... I feel like this happened a bunch last season, where, like, the same basic premise happened over and over again in on repeat. When you live on Deep Space Nine, you... Just better keep a small bag packed. I think that's, <laughs> that's the message we're getting here, right? Yeah. If you live on Deep Space Nine, you better le- learn to make fists with your toes. Yes, sir. Better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> I, I love the idea that everyone got back on the station, unpacked, and then had to pack up again. I would watch half an episode of how upset that makes everyone. <laughs> Can yeah, you imagine like, how explosive the fight is between Keiko and O'Brien this time they around? Just, they could have just had the exact same dialogue and repeated it. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Jeez. Very Do you feel like a lot of couples have, have the same fight over and over again, you know? You know when you go and visit family, there's sort of a relief when you leave, right? Like, finally going to go back home. Yeah. Like, everyone who who left the station during the Bajoran attack during during the Bajoran invasion uh, has to go back to where they came from I guess again (laughs) that's not a good look this is all because of a plasma storm and um, they're you know battening down the hatches and 
just kind of trying to ride out the storm, just the the skeleton crew and uh, O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And Odo are going around doing some maintenance, you know, tightening bolts and things. And um, while they're walking around in the deserted far reaches of the station, Odo hears somebody moving around and they open the airlock door and find Quark. Quark, what are you doing here? Praying inside the airlock. And I guess Quark's job was to stay on the station, ride it out, and make sure the bar is okay. Got to tell you, Ben, when you're caught doing something you shouldn't be doing... Hey, Marty. Oh, oh, oh hey, Dad. Um, what, what are you doing back from Pluto so, so quick? Pretending that you're praying is a pretty good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no one's yeah. going to question that, right? <laughs> you know, if there's two people... And you're and you're potentially going to get caught. You start making out, right? If there's just one of you, it's either crank it or pray. That's a form of prayer, also. <laughs> what it's, is the it's a door, and he's he's <laughs> punching one out. <laughs> That's what I was getting at, Ben. One hand on the dick, one hand on the ear. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what you want to do. Not too fast, Cork. And, like, Quirk didn't get off again for the same reason as that he doesn't have wheels on his money suitcase. The only reason you volunteered is because there wasn't enough room on the evacuation shuttles for 600 bars of gold-pressed latinum. He should really uh, go to a cashless form of of money, right? Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't trust the banks, I guess. Quirk's bar should really pivot to blockchain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, if there's one thing this show has proven is that blockchain does not take off. (laughs) Try explaining that to him. And the end of this this scene is like an ominous camera push into some device that Quark has left on the wall. It's just a blinking pad. Right. And it was like, it kind of, like, the camera pushes in on it ominously enough that that blinking, we just have to assume is bad. I think that, like, a problem here is that Deep Space Nine is designed with a lot of gigas stuck to walls, so right. this doesn't necessarily look out of place if we don't if we don't have an ominous camera push in. You know, like, this thing would pop if it was stuck to a wall on The Entrepreneur, but here on Deep Space Nine, it just kind of looks like the light switch. Right. Yeah, and, like, because it's Quark... It's unclear how ominous this thing is. He he doesn't present any danger to the station at all. He's right. he's his guilt is always fairly innocent, you know? His guilt does seem innocent, Adam. <laughs> and that is our uh, our throw to theme music. So every we- it feels like uh there's a phone amount and it's so short. There's a phone amount of camping during a storm or like you're in the cabin during a storm batten down the hatches sort of vibes between the crew at ops like it seems like they're tucking into something interesting and fun like these storms yeah, are like, very rare it doesn't seem to present too much of a danger with a capital right. d but they still evacuated the, sh- the the station anyway when i lived in brooklyn i uh, was there for two big hurricanes coming through and Hurricanes that, you know, were very cataclysmic for some people, but for the part of 
Brooklyn that I was in were just big storms. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember them being kind of fun hangs, like me and my roommates sitting around, like watching the, the local television news coverage of the storm and just just kind of like, you know, riding it out. Comparing creams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sneaking off to the vestibule to crank one out. Oh, Ben, take that again and say pray. <laughs> I'm going to punch you up. You can get a lot of uh, praying done during a storm. Yeah. Ben, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Just don't pray too much. You can like, you can kind of over overwork it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean. Uh, overwork you, the wrist. Your prayers stop getting answered. That's what happens. Does this episode just reek of we blew a lot of money on Langella and we need to dial it back a little bit, have a little bottle episode? Yeah, I got to tell you, uh, who's a lot cheaper than Frank Langella is Tim Russ, <laughs> who is uh, who's working for scale here, I guess. Yeah. So uh, they get like a distress call and um, a a ship is is uh is stuck in the in the storm so they pull it in on on um on the tractor beam and uh Odo and O'Brien go down to help them out and the door opens and like the first person that comes out of the smoky smoky ship is a woman in distress and O'Brien gallantly tries to help her but a couple of klingons one of whom is portrayed by Tim Russ come out and uh and take O'Brien and Odo uh, with guns, and they make Odo get in a lockable bucket. Yeah, it's sort of like the uh, the containment trap from Ghostbusters. They open up yeah. the, the doors of this thing, and, and they make him dive into it, because if he doesn't, they're going to shoot O'Brien in the head. <laughs> These yeah. Klingons look different to me uh, from other Klingons, and I think it's because they aren't wearing the battle armor. They're wearing these furs. Right. They're, they're kind of form-fitting. They're like civilian Klingons. They're not part of the civilian they're not part of the Klingon military. Yeah, and there's something about that that makes them look less threatening in that way too. Yeah. They're putting Odo in the bucket and O'Brien uh, turns to one of the Klingons and's like, "Who do you seek?" And uh he turns and says, "Gersh." <laughs> 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 the fourth person that comes through the door is a trill. And, when they come to be a trill I'm the test. and he's the one operating the bucket. And he's kind of a mealy mouthed and timid guy. I really got Barkley vibes from him, did you? Yeah, he does kind of have Barkley vibes. Stalin wanted to take over the entertainment industry and he started back in the 30s. Like, not start a right-wing radio show vibes, but, like, you know, a little unsure of himself, a little, uh, you know, talented but without self-confidence kind of a thing. Little bit of an $8 haircut. <laughs> kind of a squirrely guy. I've been getting a $10 haircut lately, and it's great. I Look, you can get a great haircut for $10. Yeah, I was like on I was on like a forty five dollar haircut train for a long time, and I and I went to the ten dollar haircut, and I I'm, I couldn't be happier. What I'm trying to say is that your chances of getting a bad one increase at the eight dollar level 
And right. I think uh, I think our pal Varad uh, <laughs> might need to go see another another stylist. Yeah, it's a little Vulcany too. Like he has a bit of a Vulcany bang. Yeah, it's unclear if that's like something he's going for, if he's just you know, if he's just not really not really up to the task of making himself look good. At Vulcan Supercuts, they have a bunch of the uh, you know like the permanent. Uh, mm-hmm. What are those little buckets they put on on your head to like dry yeah. the rollers? Uh-huh. But they just use that as the line they, they <laughs> right. as the line to cut the bangs, right? Yeah, and also they have that binder of the different styles that you can get, but it's all just page after page <laughs> of the same haircut. Who's the first Vulcan to get a perm? That's got to be a thing, right? <laughs> it's logical to reduce how much maintenance I have to do on it every day. <laughs> That's right. That that's the thing about the Vulcan haircut. It looks like it's so much work to maintain. Yeah. I mean, speaking of perms, these Klingons really have amazing volume compared to uh some of their military brethren. They look great. So, uh the first stop that they take is to Six Bay where they get the doctor to put the Odo container in stasis. There's a pretty funny <laughs> there's a pretty funny uh interchange where one of the Klingons is like holding a gun up to the box. He's like, put this in stasis or I'll shoot it. And the doctor's like, I don't know what that is. I don't, why, why am I supposed why would to care? I, care? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a nice bit of writing. They've got Odo in there. Yeah, that's really great writing. So often they would have missed that part of continuity. Right. Yeah, like, oh my God, is that Odo in a box? Right, <laughs> yeah. and there's no reason for him to know that. Right, yeah, so... uh it was good. It was good to see them know that that is a uh, going to be a point of confusion for the doctor, and b like play it for the laugh that it can be. You right, know, right? It's a, it's a funny moment without breaking the reality of of the episode. Exactly. And, uh, and then they head up to ops where you know they uh, this is everybody that's on the station, I guess, and uh, or I guess Quark is not among them, but. Um, but uh, it's discussed kind of under under the breath by the uh, by the Starfleets that uh, they're pretty sure Quark has something to do with this because he was caught doing something in the airlock area immediately before these bad guys came aboard. Kira's scorn face becomes its own character <laughs> in this scene, and it is so withering. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, uh, you really, uh, you know, you feel bad for Quark in a way. <laughs> he is going to get his ass so kicked. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good look, Quark. You Ferengi, you think you're so clever, but you're stupid. So what we've got in ops is is a four person takeover party, and the numbers are interesting here because, like, they are outnumbered. By, right. the, by the Starfleets that remain, so they have to be very careful about either always having the upper hand in terms of armament or numbers in any situation. Yeah, and they, uh, they've used the element of surprise very well, but they, uh, they, it is a, a small team. You know? It seems like this is a very shoestring operation, and it becomes clear that the Trill, the nervous guy, is the mastermind, which uh, doesn't add up initially. And there's like a long push in on Dax as she kind of stares at him and tries to puzzle through what this might be about. 
And what it's about is Varad wants her ankyos. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Varad wants her anky- ankylosaur. Is what ankylosaur. It's ankylosaur. Ankylosaur? Yeah, it is. That can't be right. I've been saying ankylosaur my entire life, and some fucking viewer wrote in and said, you've been pronouncing <laughs> it wrong the whole time. I'm God a, damn it. I'm a paleontologist, and you're besmirching the the work that i do and so now i'm I'm trying to i'm trying to 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 linguistically correct a lifetime of poor pronunciation yeah ankylosaur 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 man varad's goal here uh is sort of morbid because uh by taking Dax's ankylosaur, uh, it would kill her. Like, it's not like you can just transfer the ankylosaur uh, to and fro and have their have that be a consequence-free surgical situation. Uh, the 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 host cannot live without without the trill inside her, and so that's a bad scene. And so at phaser point, Bashir is made to uh, to go to six bay and perform this surgery. And meanwhile, we have a little interaction between Quark and uh, the other, the nun, Tim Russ. Who we've got is is Takar, who's the uh, long-haired Klingon. That's Tim Russ. And then Yeto is the other guy yeah. with the shorter bob. Down in, down in the bar, uh, Quark and, and Yeto have a little, little interaction. It seems like Quark uh, is also uh, supposed to be selling these Klingons some honey sticks. And uh, is uh, very nervous around this dude, but wants to get his money and uh, says that he doesn't see any money. Isn't that one of the rules of acquisition is like dope on the table, money on the table? But so he starts trying to kind of like hardball with Yeto and Yeto is like, you're a fucking idiot and pulls a gun and takes Quirk up to the ops as well. So uh, so we have like Quirk and uh, and the gang up in ops, while Bashir and Dax and and Varad go down to Six Bay to do a pretty major surgery. Quark's plan here was nog level stupid. <laughs> I think. What did he think was going to happen? Here, here's the thing: the the episode doesn't make clear what he thought was going to happen, other than honey sticks for latinum. Right. But, but like, if he did any sort of prearrangement to to what the drop was going to be, he would understand how 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 dangerous a situation he was getting in. Right. Right, and like. You would hope, I mean, like this is taking place in the future. You, you you have to presume that this was all arranged on some dark web platform where there's like a reputation engine, you know? Like you don't buy from somebody on eBay that has a really low score. I am Tor. <laughs> <laughs> Network of none. <laughs> <laughs> Who do we follow? Wi-Fi. <laughs> How do we get on it? With a VPN. 
the light of our modems guide us. <laughs> Who do we seek? Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> some little, some little deep web humor. <laughs> it's nice to try new things. Yeah, it's one of those uh, one of those franchise jokes that just never catches on. Uh, <laughs> we'll remember that joke wistfully. Yeah. Oh, remember when we thought we were funny? That was a funny fantasy. So, so this, uh, this splits the group up in an interesting way, right? The, right. the Doctor and and Jadzia Dax and uh, and Yeto go into Six Bay for the procedure, and that leaves uh, Cisco, Quark, Kira, and uh, and Takar in ops. And and, uh, and not only that, but uh, but Mareel is there, and Mareel is yeah. the special lady friend of Varad, and he kind of fell in love with the labia that sit above her nose her loaf has a certain familiar look to me ben and and i it's like i can't quite find the middle of her eyebrows (laughs) well that's the part you want to stimulate the most put it that way (laughs) she has uh, a great big bun in her hair like (laughs) she really does it is it is not just a cinnamon roll it is like a tray of cinnamon rolls (laughs) it's a bunt bun Yeah, she's full Cinnabon, <laughs> and uh, she's like, she's up there, and and Cisco's talking to her, and he's like, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, if you love this dude, if this dude's your boyfriend, why are you helping him become not the guy that you're dating? That seems like not great for you. And she's like, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. This is where the episode fails for me, right? Like, you ideally you want all of the characters acting in a realistic self-interest and we get from jump that uh that Muriel loves this guy loves him so much because uh he liberated her from a bad circumstance but doesn't stop to uh to interrogate her lover about what's going to happen post procedure well it seems like just kind of ignorance and naivete like it she's kind of bought what he told her which is it's going to make him smarter and better and more complete and 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 when cisco goes no it's going to make him a totally different person she's not willing to consider that as a possibility that had not occurred to us dude she doesn't buy it for one second she really trusts varad because she doesn't do any of her own research (laughs) cisco should just be like Hey, Siri, play a documentary about what happens when trills get joined on the main viewer. And then she would see. I mean, they're in a uh, fancy space station. Why not use some of the resources to to prove the point? I cannot think of a single instance where uh, either your wife or mine would be like, uh, I need to go in for some pretty major surgery. (laughs) And uh, I'm not really going to be clear on what that is or, or, or what's going to happen after. And not asking a bunch of questions in the interim. <laughs> I don't get the sense well, they're very close. It's it's yeah. definitely uh, it's definitely a sex based relationship, right? Well, it's one of these Star Trek relationships where you're like, have you guys talked? Right. I mean, it's the same. Keiko and O'Brien have the same problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead, they talk to the viewer. 
and this is the thing that's so aggravating about this episode is like we're we're recapitulating conversations that that should have happened already for the sake of of viewer knowledge yeah we get this ankylosaur transplant scene and it is a lot more rugged than i remember from tng they're they're like physically snipping the tail off the thing with with not laser scissors but with like like sewing scissors yeah real gnarly this scene they is get so, those scissors the scene is so rugged ben like yeah. you, what you get is is sort of a c-section couple of blankets over the abdomens of of the surgical patients and yeah. then here's one thing i couldn't figure out like do the trill people have a kind of kangaroo pouch like because i know <laughs> i know that 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 there were incisions made into them, but they also look like they have an extra flap of skin that, that yeah. sits up higher than the rest. Like they sort of look like they have action figure, like <laughs> Waist. Hip, hip and thorax <laughs> situations, you know? I wanted to know why Bashir didn't have that maroon surgery costume that right. you're the, the Shriners costume. Right. Where was that? Yeah, I don't know, because, like, at least wear a hairnet, Bashir. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she's, Dax is going to die of sepsis before she dies of, uh, of, her, of, her tri- of her symbiote being taken out. Yeah, and speaking of hair, they didn't shave Varad's belly at all. <laughs> I was like, that, you know, when, when you give a dog, you know, when you take a dog in to get fixed, they shave the belly. Right. He didn't shave his belly. Which is why after surgery, uh, when Varad goes into ops, he's wearing that cone around his waist. <laughs> he also opts for the non-anesthetized version of the surgery. He yeah. kind of goes for a Civil War level trill surgery. Yeah. I don't want your advice. And uh, that's pretty intense. Like he, he really goes through a lot when they're sticking the symbiote all up in him. They don't give him that bite down on this leather belt scene, though. So yeah. it's hard to tell exactly how painful it is. What you do get is the euphoria of this thing taking hold. He kind of rolls his eye, eyes back. And before the procedure's over, he gets a, he gets a better haircut. Right. Before going out to ops. That's, yeah. that's important. They're like, uh, hey, before, uh, before you present your new self to everybody, would you like to put a little gel in? <laughs> They they do the surgery uh, like facing away from the mirror, and then they turn the the chair around, <laughs> and he sees himself, and he becomes very emotional. Yeah, so yeah, he comes out onto uh, into the ops deck, and it's a really wild reveal. Like he's he's a very different guy. He's got a different different way of styling his hair. He's like very familiar with his surroundings. I know this place, and he and Cisco are like. Back to old good time buddies. <laughs> and I know you, Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing the secret handshake and they're and they're talking about old times. And yeah, he basically different, different zupp- sexual hijinks they've gotten into together. <laughs> he uh, he basically just zups Mareel. Like he he regards her as familiar and probably not much more. Yeah. That's gotta hurt. Right. And uh, it's and like the spouse that starts working out and taking care of themselves. Like something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, why are you? Why are you looking so good all of a sudden? <laughs> he he has a distended tummy. 
all of a sudden there's a massive scar over his belly. <laughs> this is really good like psychology for Zisco, right? Because he's he really like sprinkled the shit out of these seeds on uh, on Muriel, and then when Varad now Varad Dax shows up, Cisco really leans into all, like everything he can do to display what a different person Varad now is. Yeah, he does that and then pivots into leveraging Dax, the Dax that he knows, the Dax that he he's become so familiar with for his entire life, leveraging that part of the personality into putting the trill back where, where it belongs. Come with me down to the infirmary. Put the symbiont back where it belongs. Yeah, he's like, how, how can you be a party to killing Jadzia? Like, you know this is wrong, and now you're a part of the you're part of the joined entity that is Varad. Like, let's talk Dax to Cisco about how that's bad. And when Varad resists this idea, Cisco lip quiveringly ends their friendship. And that's the end of the episode. We cut back to Six Bay and uh and we get empty Jadzia, who is uh, who's emotional and sad and scared like the like the early 20s year old that she is it's right. actually a very interesting uh acting challenge for her like she carries herself uh totally different when she is dax and as jadzia she is she's basically a child i feel so alone yeah and she's kind of slipping in and out of consciousness i think she's pretty pretty knocked out from what's been done to her and it seems like bashir is good enough as a doctor to keep her alive for longer than would be normal for somebody who's been separated from their symbiont but not right uh, uh, he's not going to be able to save her life or anything he put a puppy inside her just to like keep the space open (laughs) to keep it warm yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, he's he's friends with that uh, that schoolgirl that wound up being a Q. And he's like, hey, could you uh, can you make a puppy right around here? Now, when you're replacing a trill symbiote, <laughs> you're gonna want to choose a puppy of equivalent size and and weight. We've gone down to the local SPCA and looked at what dogs they had available. We considered this Chihuahua, but it is in fact an adult and not appropriate for this operation. I like to use something with a certain length, like this Kagi. <laughs> a Look at that cute little fella. A Kagi's long torso <laughs> is going to be just perfect, nestled in between the digestive system of our patient here, Jadzia Dax. <laughs> I like to cut into her torso <laughs> with the cutting disc of an angle grinder. Go slow. You don't want the disc to bind. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> you know what? In season one, Bashir would have been a, a big fucking creepo about this. But yeah. uh, I think one of the things about this episode that I liked is that he kind of turns the corner. He's uh, He's shown as a totally competent surgeon. 
in terms of like his the skill that he demonstrates, but also his bedside manner. And he shows that he's a good friend to Jadzia because yeah. he never... I mean, it's a little creepy that he like is is touching her face the entire time. Is that not what you do when you're with someone who's scared? I mean... You just grab their face. That makes people <laughs> feel better, right? Yeah. Oh, I guess, yeah, you're right. You grab their face and then you give them a big shake. Yeah. And suggest mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe do a little praying. <laughs> It worked for me. Yeah. So uh, back in Ops, Quirk pretends to be brave yeah. by jumping onto the back of Takar and uh, and doing that thing when a little kid tries to fight a big brother, just sort of like yeah. gets him around the neck and uh, and the big brother in this case just dispatches him with ease, like bangs him against a railing and then throws him into the Ops panel and, uh, and Quirk bellows in pain. Yeah, uh, he bellows so loud that it's and so annoyingly that uh, they have no choice but to take him to six bay. Yeah, Takar's kind of pissed off here because he he keeps saying that he's been waiting for somebody worthy of his attention. <laughs> Quark clearly doesn't fit the bill. <laughs> but yeah, Quark goes down to six bay, and Bashir is like, "Yeah, like it doesn't seem your ear, like your ear is that hurt." And Quark is like, "It's very hurt, <laughs> doctor." <laughs> And Bashir's like, ooh, yeah, this actually does merit some extra tests. So he uh, starts really going to town on on uh, on Quark, and that is the uh, that is the like getting uh, you know getting enough manpower down in six bay that they need to start to turn the tide in their favor. So meantime, up in ops, like it's revealed that the reason that everybody is still hanging around is the storm is too dangerous to for them to leave and Varad's plan is to go through the wormhole and like abscond with the ankylosaur to the gamma quadrant it's a pretty flimsy plan right like i'm gonna go start a new life out there and i'm just as reachable there as i am anywhere else like this is one of the questions i have is like is going through the wormhole tantamount to going to a non-extradition country because varad seems to think that like once he's through the to the other side he's scot-free right he's like disappeared off the grid or whatever i mean yeah yeah, it's i mean Varad is a it like winds up you know jadzia winds up really like pitying varad and I think that this is also pitiable. It's a very unimaginative plan. It's not like like he he has set all of his self worth on the idea of having a symbiont, and it doesn't matter where he is or what he is doing as long as he has one. Right. Which is just a really stupid way of thinking about the world. Like satisfaction and contentment don't come from you know taking off a single box. It's like it's about having. A you know a good life and a satisfying career and good relationships and all of that stuff, and uh, this guy is just so myopically obsessed with the idea of having an ankylosaur that he can't see any of the other stuff. Like, and and even you know like his girlfriend, it's very obvious that he's just using her for getting, uh, you know, advancing that goal. He doesn't really care about her. Yeah. You know, she doesn't feel that moment in a way that, uh, like, she does not 
she doesn't seem very sad about it. She just seems so, more resigned, right? Yeah, like she she almost has a like a blood oath of I'll do anything for this guy because he got me out of a bad situation. That's the it difference between it, obligation and love, isn't it? Like right. like he did a thing for her, she feels beholden to him, but it's that's not that's it's not, not a, true love. A relationship of mutual respect and adoration. Right. So down in Six Bay, Bashir winds up uh, hypospraying Yeto and uh, knocking knocking him out. And uh, so he and Quark uh, jailbreak Odo from the box he is in. And that, you know, that depends entirely on Quark being an amazing locksmith, which he apparently is. It's a gift. I guess he's using his ears to, like, see if the mechanism is working. His, his super hearing. Yeah, I guess to have heard the code be entered, uh, it's like a dial tone on a phone or, yeah. or the, the keypad on a phone. If you're familiar enough with the tones, you can you can rekey the pass lock. And up in ops, Cisco is talking Muriel into joining team Put the Symbiont back in Jadzia. He doesn't need me anymore. No, you're wrong. He does need you now more than ever. Yeah, because she is a she's sort of a neutral party now. I mean, she's she's neutral in the sense that her only way to get Varad Prime back is to get this thing out of him. And, uh, and it becomes clear that Varad like doesn't really have any plan of like continuing with her now that she's been useful to him. You know, right? Like they they discuss a rendezvous and he's like oh yeah like whenever we're gonna meet or whatever you know <laughs> and she's like hey wait so uh so cisco's like hey listen like we can we can finish this day with Vrad living but being in custody and also you aren't a party to killing my friend jedzia and i think you should consider helping us do that and so odo has released the clamps to their ship and when Varad tries to get to it to escape uh, there's nothing there to escape to and so uh and so cisco walks around the corner and is like hey not so fast we got to get that thing out of you and red's like yeah. no way and not only that i know you're not going to shoot me because i've known you for so many years right and this is after uh odo and kira have have star trek fought tim russ right into a into a pulp and uh and yeah, it's one of those moments of like, you wouldn't have the guts to shoot me. And it's, it really looks for a minute like Brad might get away because Cisco is unwilling to take the risk of shooting him with the ankylosaur in it. It's a real Biff calls Marty Chicken moment because Varad calls Cisco Benjamin and that pushes him over the line. Yeah. Finally phasers him down. You want to aim high when you're uh, shooting at an at a trill, right? You don't want to yeah, hit the belly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like it's not really clear how big of a risk it is. Like, is it fifty fifty the trill is going to survive, or is it like one percent chance of killing it? Why take any chances? Why wouldn't you just headshot him? Yeah, just I don't shoot him in the head. The only guy we've ever seen shot in the head with a phaser is Remick. Like, bring back that. <laughs> I know that putty exists in yeah. uh, in storage somewhere on the Star Trek lap. Break that head out. It'd be pretty fun to shoot him in the head, have it 
have it explode on full gore and then have the ankylosaur come up out of the neck and go <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> Cisco's like hello old man <laughs> cradles it in his arms and then runs it back to six bay cradles like, uh, it in his arms lets it suckle at his teat for a second to regain yeah. its strength yeah So in it goes, back into Jadzia. Yeah, and we have the scene of uh, Varad waking up and Jadzia waking up, and Varad kind of uh, mirroring the feeling of emptiness that she had, and then kind of realizing what he had and how close he was to having it, and the fact that he's lost it. And uh, That feeling you have after a great big steak dinner, and you take that shit the next morning. <laughs> that, uh, that 10 pounds of empty feeling. Yeah. And Jedzia Dax is, is saved and she gives Cisco a big hug. And it's a, 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 a moment of reflection because she's like, she had all, like, through the symbiont, she remembers those experiences as Varad and, and really feels bad for a guy that's as lost and as obsessed as that, you know, not getting what he felt like he wanted. You don't get the sense there's a lot of give backs in the Trill community, right? No. But it's a it's an interesting episode because it really makes you hate this guy and then makes you pity him at the end. Yeah, I mean I'm eighty percent hate, twenty percent pity on Varad. <laughs> and you know, much like the last episode where it was left sort of half finished, you don't see what happens to Mariel uh, Cork, I guess, is unpunished for putting the station at risk to invasion and right. his friends' lives at risk. Yeah, uh, like, was it was it en- enough of a redemption that he tried to Star Trek fight a Klingon? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Like, he should not be able to walk the station a free man. Yeah. And Cork kind of has a rich history of doing things that make us not trust him so so what the f yeah i don't know what the f indeed well did you like this episode adam uh i think because those threads were left undone i i don't i mean the i liked how much more backstory we got into the the trill verse it seems to be non-canonical ankylosaur here because it's a it's a different sort of it's a different sort of goo monster that they're taking in and out of people this time than what we got in TNG. Looks a little yeah. less sophisticated as a thing. Real, real. Everything that involves Terry Farrell, I thought, was well acted and good. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to flesh out Dax as a character. I mean, we were yeah. talking about this on the last episode, how she hasn't had much to do yet. And this is, uh, well, while she still like doesn't get much to do, as a character in this episode, she's uh, we know more about her and have more to like to think about her. There are redemption stories that are told with uh, the the guy who double crossed his friends redeeming himself in a fantastic way that is uh, that is unequivocally heroic in a way that gets him off the hook. And Cork doesn't do that, and that is a missed opportunity for me. Like. 
There's a chance for Cork to be a huge hero, but instead he's he sort of buffoons his way into being the hero in a way that you can't blame the success of of the mission on. And I right. didn't think that's right. Like, And I know they're just going to go into the next episode not talking about it. For as good of a job as the show does carrying story from episode to episode, like there should be consequences here and they should be real. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Uh, I like the episode and... I kind of disagree with you that Muriel's the problem at the center of it. It sounds to me like the situation she came out of is so bad and so desperate that I do kind of believe that she would feel a great need to repay that debt. Um, so like I that didn't that didn't break it for me. I do feel like, you know, maybe structurally it could be a little tighter and and Cork Cork coming out the other side just a okay. Don't mind him is ridiculous, but uh but generally I like the themes and I like the uh I like the arc a lot. I like the idea of you know Cisco's best friend uh like becoming the villain that Cisco is fighting and right like that's such an interesting game of like like how does Cisco like now that he is best friends with the villain talk the villain into not being such a bad guy anymore right and i i i bought that you know i thought that was fun good cisco app yeah should we check for some priority one messages adam yeah let's do it priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental Adam, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature, and it goes like this. Nerd Rage, the great debates, invites the friends of DeSoto to join nerd comics from the Comedio Comedy Network for a no-holds-barred debate of the hottest topics in all of geekdom. The rage levels up this March for the Tournament of Champions. 32 comics defend their favorite fandom in a March Madness single elimination brackets tournament. Star Trek vs. Star Wars. Batman vs. Inspector Gadget. Raz vs. Plavim? <laughs> All will be settled. Are you ready to rage? Find us anywhere you get your pods. Check out the competing pod from SF Sketchfest, Nerd Rage, The Great Debates. Wow, this is cool. Uh, Christy from the from Nerd Rage emailed us when we were at Sketchfest that she was like really bummed out that she couldn't come see her sh- our show because Nerd Rage the the Great Debates was having a show like right at the same time as ours. Oh man, that would have been fun. Yeah, and then she was like, oh, "But maybe I'll see you guys at the after party." And and uh, we were and like, "There was as, as far as we know, we have not been invited to any parties. That was one thing that was like totally insane about Sketchfest was we kept hearing about these after parties. We were like, when were we going to get told about them? Our after party night after night was just finding the one remaining restaurant open in Japantown and being <laughs> yeah. their last customers. Yeah. And they're like, these guys want more fried chicken? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really, you know what's great? I love a commercial message that speaks our language and uses references from our show. They they clearly yeah. listen to our show, and that's fun. Yeah. Uh, Nerd Rage, The Great Debates. 
I would highly recommend anybody Google it. I'm not sure the the matter of Raz versus Pulvim will ever be settled. Yeah, that seems like almost unsettleable. Ben, our second Priority One message is of a personal nature. It is from Lieutenant Commander Oliver of the USS Caligari. It's <laughs> for Austin Harper. The message goes like this. Austin Harper of Facebook fame. My rhymes split you in Mark Twain. You can't wake <laughs> up. It's a bad dream. Go back to sleep with the rest of Team Plavim. Come at me. <laughs> Come at me. I'm the alpha rascal. Your name needs a verbal hospital. <laughs> I'm closing your comments. There's nothing to gain. I'll solve all your lyrical puzzles. Alan Moraine. <laughs> Hashtag rascals, hashtag Facebook, hashtag create. <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, two top-notch Priority One messages uh, from our viewers to other viewers. If you have a Priority One message of your own, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, uh, where we have both a, both a personal and commercial message option there for you. Fresh. Gotta get that, get that gold press A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe.
It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you, in your viewing of today's episode, find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, it's Odo. It's Odo because if he truly cared about the security of the station, Cork would be in prison forever and probably... And probably not on the station anymore, right? Like and also, he, he would notice that there's a weird, like, ersatz uh, light switch on the wall right. in the room that they find Quark in. He has reasons to put up cameras every episode, and he never does it. <laughs> he lets Quark walk the station unpunished. He's sort of terrible at his job. <laughs> he, I, right now, I think he might be as bad at security as Worf. I'm just going to say Damn. What about you, Ben? My Shimoda is Dr. Bashir for his uh, hilarious technique of hypospraying that Klingon without the Klingon noticing. He comes up, you see what he's going to do, right? He like fills <laughs> up the hypospray and he's coming up behind Yeddo. And instead of just doing hypospray into Yeddo's back, he, he goes past Yeddo toward Cork and then turns the hypospray around and does it right into Yeto's like Adam's apple. <laughs> like, Jesus, man, just fucking knock him out. Don't kick him in the balls also. Does the hypospray not go through hair? Was that his reason? Like he doesn't want to go through the bob? <laughs> I don't know, man. I think the yeah. hypospray can get through just about anything. It's Yeah, it was one of those scenes that was uh, that was blocked for camera and not for what should probably actually happen there. Right. And in like, in a modern TV show, they would cut to a, a close up and it would be a very dynamic, you know, right. or like, or like the camera would follow the hypo spray or something like that. It was a very traditional framing and, and kind of unimaginative and bad framing on that scene. So it, well, it just uh, made it all so silly. The camera department's on vacation with the rest of the cast. Yeah. This episode. <laughs> What do we have coming up on the next step, Ben? The next episode is season two, episode five, Cardassians. A young Cardassian orphaned in the war and raised by Bajorans causes turmoil on the station when his people attempt to reclaim him. 
or as Netflix puts it, Bashir is surprised when his friend Garrick, a Cardassian tailor, is attacked and bitten by a Cardassian boy. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that one quite a bit. <laughs> Fun. Hey, hey, Garrick's back. That's good. I like that guy. You want to see if uh, we're going to be doing a special episode for this one? Yeah. Do you want to uh, do the honors with the dice? Yeah, we are on square number nine right now, butted right up against the Coco Nono square. Very exciting. And uh, I'm going to roll these bones. <laughs> I got a one. Oh, no. I legit did. <laughs> Drink. It's the antidote. Fun. Wow. So, uh, it's a Coco Nono app. That is gonna be. We're gonna have to. Do you got a? Do you get a go-to tiki drink recipe? I don't. We're gonna have to discuss that before uh, before we spool up for the next step. So maybe we can come up with something special. Share it with. I'm the excited leaders. to finally use these uh, coconuts that Ann Kilzer sent us on an episode. Yeah, you and me both. Awesome. Well, uh, support for the show comes from a bunch of different places, Ben. Some of them don't even cost you anything. You can go to iTunes and leave a friendly re- five-star review. Uh, you can tell a pal about the show. Yeah, and if uh, if you want to support the show, the Max Fun Drive is coming up, and we are going to need as many people as we can get uh, for that. So uh, get ready. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for even more of our theme music. And... Uh, great folks at MaximumFun.org that make all this possible. And uh, all of the great friends of DeSoto out there who use the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter and go on the Facebook group and the Reddit and the Slack channel and uh, the Wikia. And I'm sure I'm forgetting many, many things. But uh, they're all great, great things. We even have a Wikipedia page now. Oh, yeah. If you have questions, that place has answers. Yeah. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's going to bite those ankles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.